conversations. Good day, everybody. This is Davo and Rahul for another episode of Med Conversations. What are we talking about today, Rahul? Today, we're talking about chronic low back pain. Which doesn't sound exciting. No, it does. You can have some exciting cases. Think think positive thoughts. This is not going to be a shit podcast. (laughs) It's so common. It's so, so common. Um, And I think it's very important uh, to know when to be worried about these patients and when to be less worried. Um, so in terms of what we'll be talking about, um, so this podcast is kind of mostly going to follow uh, a focus on the evaluation of, of uh, chronic back pain, not so much on the management of the different conditions. We'll mention it, but uh, mostly it would just be evaluation. So the first half, as we usually do, we'll talk about how to evaluate these cases. So in terms of the history, the examination, and then the really key question of like, who do we image and who do we not image, which is the number one dilemma in these patients. And then we'll just go through a bunch of cases, um, you know, ranging from the really non-specific common low back pain that you don't have to do much about to like the really severe things that needed urgent neurosurgery. Um, all right, so we'll just start off with some epidemiology. So as we've said, this is super, super common. Um, 84% of people have some um, back pain at some point in their lives. I certainly have already, amongst that 84%, I'm sure you are as well. I'm right? well in there, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> And uh, even in the last three, if you, if you get like a point prevalence within the last three months, 26% of people will tell you that they've had low back pain. But and most importantly, I think for you guys slash us, you know, if you're going to work in the emergency department or as a gen med reg or probably anywhere in the hospital, mm-hmm. you will definitely be seeing a lot of patients with back pain. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So in terms of causes, so we've broken this up into a few different categories. So the most common the things you absolutely don't want to miss and the things you probably shouldn't miss because it'll be helpful to identify it earlier rather than later. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the most common cause of back pain, what's that? So I always think about uh, spinal cord compression or things that are actually going to affect this the neurological the, this function. This is the most common cause. Oh, what's the most common cause? Sorry. Ah. Spinal cord compression. <laughs> be very afraid. Uh, no, uh, non-specific sort of, well, not musculoskeletal type causes. So yeah. more. More, which is just the grab bag basket everyone in medicine uses for things that aren't like very specific yeah. medical diagnoses. But realistically, I'm sure physiotherapists have a very nice library or atlas of the very different causes, and they're not non-specific at all. Yeah, I'm sorry um, if we're triggering any physios. Yeah, yeah. Non-specific. No, muscles are important. Yeah, but they're probably more things that are related to just, I don't know, <laughs> muscles <laughs> and skeletals. And, yeah. It's not just cord. Uh, but this is actually the terminology that's used in places like UpToDate in the versus, various guidelines. So we call it kind of non-specific back pain, um, which refers to uh, mostly probably musculoskeletal, but when they don't um, fall into one of our other typical diagnostic categories. But yeah, I'm sure, I'm sorry physios, I'm sure all of this stuff matters and it's different terminology, but we'll call it non-specific back pain here. All right, so that's the most common, and I, th- I think something like 95% plus is this kind of non-specific back pain. So the next category to think about is what do you really not want to miss? Yeah, so I mean, like now I think it's a good time to talk about <laughs> spinal cord compression, things affecting the spinal cord or the cord equina, that yeah. tail of nerves that comes after the spinal cord. Yeah. Um, I, you don't want to miss cancer that's spread to the back uh, for obvious reasons, both the cancer-wise and because it can lead to spinal cord compression. And like it's worth saying, it's not uncommon for that to be how cancer's picked up. Yeah. Um, so the cancer's obviously been there for a while, but it's not until it spreads to the back and causes really bad back pain. That's when we identify. Comes yeah, in, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then the other thing is infection. Again, the same rule applies. So someone 
that can usually, someone who has a vertebral osteomyelitis or infection in their back, that can be the first sign of someone who's actually had a bacteremia that they haven't picked up on or, you know, yeah. subtly picked up yeah, on yeah, until then. Yeah. So even though that's not the source of the infection, that's the kind of presenting way. So the, the mm. two infections are, as you said, vertebral osteomyelitis and the other one is an epidural abscess. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but there is also a, a kind of a long list, a longish list of stuff that's pretty important and you wouldn't want to miss but it's not super urgent. They don't need to get into the MRI kind of right then and there. Mm. Uh, so one really common there is a vertebral compression fracture. Um, so how do you, what are kind of the risk factors for that? The classic old lady who has a history of osteoporosis who comes mm. in maybe without even a story of trauma, uh, but maybe some mild trauma and comes mm-hmm. in with sort of either acute, subacute back pain in an area um, and probably has a compression fracture of their, of their vertebra. Yeah. Um, radiculopathy is another one as well. So that's where there's compression usually by a slipped disc or a disc herniation of uh, the nerve root. Radicular meaning like nerve root. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the very, the key kind of feature of radiculopathy is what? Uh, so sciatic pain going yeah. down the leg in a nerve yeah. root type distribution. So if someone's complaining about that, that's probably some kind of radiculopathic element. Uh, but then it can do other things as well. It can cause sensory change and it can cause weakness and it can reduce your reflexes. Um, all right. So then uh, another really important one, particularly in young men, is ankylosing spondylitis. Um, ankylosing. Ankylosing. Ankylosing spondylitis. <laughs> so that's really important to think about in young men that are coming with persistent back pain. And what you hear about with kind of ankh spond and how to pick up on it is this idea of inflammatory back pain. Mm, just like inflammatory joint pain elsewhere, which mm-hmm. has those typical features of morning stiffness. So it's worse in the morning than with, and that usually is about half an hour. So it has to be morning stiffness, then half an hour later, it kind of eases up. Mm-hmm. Uh, improvement with exercise, which is part of that same mm-hmm. uh, situation. And then pain that comes on at night, which is a bit unusual for your typical mechanical pain, which is worse with exercise and thus improves overnight when they're resting. Mm-hmm. And so I guess um, it's important to realize that that's kind of the opposite of what you usually see in your non-specific back pain or your radiculopathy back pain. Most mm-hmm. people, they kind of really just want to lie down on it and uh, mm-hmm. certainly don't want to be exercising. That's kind of the worst thing for them. Yeah. So it's an important thing to think about in your history, as we'll talk about later. Um, spinal canal stenosis. So what is that? Yeah, so it's usually due to arthritic degeneration of the spine, so narrowing of the spinal uh, canal where the spinal cord runs through, mm-hmm. and that can actually cause compression of the spinal cord and lead to neurogenic pain down in the legs. It's that classic pain that's better when they're bending over, and you know, mm-hmm. someone who uses a shopping trolley and pushes around feels better when they stand up straight, they mm-hmm. get more compression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the you know the claudication there is in um, contrast to vascular claudication, which is that pain in the lower limbs that gets worse when you walk and is eased by resting. Yeah, yeah. All right, one other specific um, etiology, I think this is the last one um, in the spine, anyway, is osteoarthritis. Um, so that's something you think about when someone's kind of older, particularly older than 40. Um, and there's some overlap there between spinal canal stenosis osteoarthritis, yeah, yeah, although so other arthritis is like a rheumatoid can cause spinal canal stenosis in the cervical yeah. spine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, this kind of osteoarthritis pain uh, is, is the opposite to this inflammatory pain where it's exacerbated by activity and it's relieved by rest. And I did not know this until a week ago when I wrote this podcast, but spondylosis is the term for osteoarthritis of the spine. There are, we'll forgive you that because there are a lot of strange terms associated with the spine. So spondylosis, it's hard to work out where that mm-hmm. actually comes from, but arthritis of the spine 
anterolisthesis, which is anterior displacement of a vertebral body, retrolisthesis, which is retro, so posterior displacement of yeah, a vertebral body. This is the one, the next one's the one that gets me. It's spondylolysis. Yeah, I don't know why that has a specific name for it, but that's that fracture of the pars interarticularis, which is the but bit that joins to the vertebral. It's almost exactly the same as spondylosis. Yeah, they, that's one of those, another one of those medicine <laughs> things. <laughs> we get our own little it's code so patients can't understand us. I'm clear on that. Um, and then finally, so that's the stuff in the spine. So then it's worth being aware that back pain does not always mean there's a problem in the back. Your body can trick you. Yeah. Um, so there's piriformis syndrome, which is, sorry for triggering physios again, but this is somewhat of a controversial entity, I think. Um, mm, I think the idea is that the sciatic nerve runs through or in, uh, between two fibers of the piriformis muscle, which is found in the gluteal region. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, in people who have either tight piriformis or, you know, just unlucky, that can sort of contract and compress the sciatic nerve. And it's very much managed in a physiotherapy type way with mm-hmm. massage and therapy and sacroiliac joint dysfunction so this is outside of the context of angst bond is also thought to be relatively common and a relatively common cause of back pain also a controversial entity that i won't wade into mm-hmm. um, and then also just kind of the usual um, abdo stuff can present as back pain so remember like an aortic aneurysm that can kind of radiate to the back or mm-hmm. pyelonephritis uh, or pancreatitis, all of that can sometimes disguise as back pain. So. so there's a nice long list of things. Should we run over a little bit, Darby? Just quickly I say gonna, the things. I was going to say the exact same thing. Mm, yeah, we're finally getting in sync. Yes. <laughs> so, all right. So, but first of all, how we break it up. So you think about most common, the things you don't want to miss, the specific etiologies you also don't want to miss, but are less of an emergency, um, and then causes outside of the back. So what's the most common? So that non-specific, you know, screw-all physios type back pain, <laughs> the musculoskeletal. Uh, things you don't want to miss. Uh, the spinal cord compression or cord equina, uh, metastatic cancer to the spine and infection of the spine, such as an abscess or osteomyelitis. Mm-hmm. And then what's on the list of kind of spinal problems that are specific? Um, it's not non-specific back pain, but less of an emergency, but still important to identify. So your vertebral compression fractures from the osteoporotic old ladies and radi- radiculopathies from a compressed nerve root. Mm-hmm. And then you've got ankylosing spondylitis, osteoarthritis, and arthritic degeneration of the spine. And spinal canal stenosis, which, which is kind of part of osteoarthritis. Mm. And then finally, your, your etiology is outside of the spine that it's worth being aware of. Piriformis syndrome, SI joint dysfunction, and then of course your aneurysms of the aorta, kidney mm-hmm. disease, and mm-hmm. possibly pancreatic disease. Cool. So that's the list, and that's that's how I think about it, and I think that's how most people think about it, kind of common and, and don't want to miss. Um, before we go into the actual kind of workup of someone with uh, back pain, I thought we'd talk about these concepts of red flags and yellow flags, that if you've been anywhere near a John Murtagh-influenced school of medicine, you've mm. almost certainly heard of. Uh, but it's a really important concept in lots of areas of medicine, but particularly um, in back pain. So the red flags are things that, you know, immediately pique your interest and you're like, wow, this could be something serious. Um, And the yellow flags are supposed to be things that um, this person is high risk of having chronic disability from from this issue. I never thought about how much flag sounds kind of like a, a, maybe it's because I'm thinking the word flog, but it seems like a derogatory way to describe someone. You're a bit of a flat. 
No, maybe. Maybe it's because it sounds like something else as well. <laughs> okay, we'll just delete that and post. <laughs> uh, all right, so red flags. Um, so this is going to be a little bit repetitive, but you kind of really just got to hammer it in. This is the most important thing, I think, to get out of this podcast. So how do you group your red flags? I put them in, well, you know, in terms of things I'm asking about is neurological symptoms, mm-hmm. which suppress, uh, um, impose pose some sort of damage to the spinal cord or potentially the uh, nerve roots, um, systemic symptoms, uh, which kind of can imply malignancy or infection, and then the context of the background. So who am I actually looking at? What's the biggest picture here? Is there something that would make this particular, you know, it's your pre-test probability. Is there something yeah, that makes exactly. this particular back pain much more concerning? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so to go through those in detail, so in terms of neurological symptoms, so any bat, bladder or bowel um, dysfunction is really important to pick up any weakness, any difficulty walking, and any um, numbness, particularly kind of saddle anesthesia in particular. In terms of systemic symptoms, fever, sweats, chills, weight loss. Um, so those are all malignancy, infection, infection things. stuff, yeah. Mm. And then in terms of the background or the context for the patient, so... Do they have a history of malignancy? Do they have history of... Um, Surgery in the back or inter- in- really injections one, on yeah. the back, which would be a route for infection? Yeah, yeah. We'll or, talk more later about a case I had where that, was, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. occurred. Or do, they, um, or do they have, you know, they injecting IV drugs? Um, or do they have a chronically infected diabetic foot? Just kind of, are they, are they an unwell person? I think yeah. just generally. And I think more just generally as well. Like if I can see someone really young who's coming mm-hmm. into hospital with severe mm-hmm. back pain for the first time, uh, my heckles always get a bit raised, my heckles and shekels. Mm-hmm. Um, if I see someone really old who's never had back pain, they're 80 and suddenly they're there with back pain. It mm-hmm. also makes me feel a bit mm-hmm. unusual. Mm-hmm. Makes me feel a bit aroused. <laughs> uh, all right, and then you've got your yellow flags as well. So these are supposed to be kind of psychosocial factors that are shown to be indicative of long-term chronicity and disability. Um, so this list is kind of, uh, it's not my list, but um, a negative attitude that back pain is harmful or potentially severely disabling. That's surprising. I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about this later, but that is surprisingly, yeah. You see people who come in and no matter what you tell them about their back pain, this is in someone who's been ex- investigated and you mm-hmm. understand they don't have harmful back pain, that they are, have a strong belief that there is no way that they'll ever get over that back pain. Yeah, yeah. Fear, avoidance, um, behavior and reduced activity levels. Um, an expectation that passive rather than active treatment will be beneficial. So, you know, I'll get the surgery, then I'll be fixed. Um, a tendency to depression, low morale and social withdrawal um, and social or financial problems. And something that's not on this, this list, but I also uh, agree with and have seen elsewhere is um, if, if it's like a work cover or, or looking for... I suppose that falls into the financial yeah, incentive yeah. or perverse yeah, incentive yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, something to be aware of. We hate to be pejorative or you know discriminatory towards our patients, but human nature is such that those things can be quite convincing motivators for someone, especially if they already have a you know, it's, tenure it's, social it's situation. It's described nervous factor. Um, um, I think that these are all interesting things and Davor and I were talking about, well, even if you do identify these, I think, first of all, you should only identify these things in someone who you are sure that they do not have another cause of their back yeah, pain. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to be Similar to our kind of functional neurology podcast, almost everyone will have something on that list. Yeah. Like I certainly... Um, You've got a fear avoidance behavior. Whenever, yeah, I, like whenever when I come I, in the house, your eyes avoid me. You're looking, <laughs> wet your pants a little bit. <laughs> when I had back pain, I remember as a teenager, like, sure, I was worried that this was going to be severely disabling in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And, and then we're talking about what do you actually do with this information? Yeah, you, know, yeah. you identified someone who maybe you think is going to end up in that long-term chronic disabled. I'd say the only thing that changes for me is my discourse with the patient. So maybe I'm more putting a lot more of the emphasis on their role in the treatment and making yeah. sure they understand that yeah, yeah. they're a big part of everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And look, you might avoid certain medications a bit more sure. in someone like this. Yeah. So like there's a very limited role for opioids um, in Chronic, low back pain anyway. Back pain, yeah. But you would really, really avoid it in mm. someone like this that you think is this is going to be a chronic thing. I'm worried that yeah. this is going to be... Exacerbate the problem. Exactly. Well, like benzos are often sometimes used for kind of mu- as a muscle relaxing, but again... It's extremely tenuous evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And you might steer clear of it in someone like this. I've actually also read that um, physio might be particularly helpful in this patient group. So... Physio, I think, for acute low back pain is not usually thought to be super helpful, but... Um, it's like having a life coach, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're definitely getting some angry letters from <laughs> years after this episode. Um, but I think, I think for someone like this, then maybe early referral to physio to get them moving uh, might mm. be very helpful. Yeah, and like part of that might be just, yeah, the weekly contact with a person who tells you, like, get up and do some exercise, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to letting yourself become disabled. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the evaluation, Davo. All right, so in terms of history, um, so the first thing is we're kind of uh, getting a bit repetitive here, but I think it's important. So the, the first thing is always when I'm taking history is what's the background here, what's the context, mm. you know, how old are they, what comorbidities do they have, do they have risk factors for malignancy or infection. Um, and it's like this, unlike, say, Wegner's, is a lot more relevant because back pain is a you know presentation where... There's such a big range, as we've spoken, of um, of possible conditions that you have to really narrow down who you're dealing with. Uh, like my, I don't know how you do it. But my general approach to history taking, I don't, I never start with history of presenting complaint. I always start with background. Like I get a, I get a line. Like what are you here for, basically. But then I don't delve into that into detail until I've got... Mate, a very... my history taking is five yeah. questions that can be done by a medical student <laughs> or a robot. I um, said it before. Yeah, <laughs> literally, sometimes I'm like, yes, I don't know why I'm bothering sorry. talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, for the rest of us, I would suggest an approach. My way of doing it is to always start with the context because it just massively pushes you in different directions. Mm. Um, so with back pain, so yeah, you're going to particularly look at age, as Rahul said, very young or very old will make you a little bit more worried, particularly comorbidities, so things at, at risk of infection or malignancy. Um, and then social history is really important here for those yellow flags that we were just talking about. Um, and IV drug use is a particularly important thing as well. So once, once you've got that context, you know what kind of patient you're dealing with generally. Then you um, can narrow down on what they've come in with and the features of that. Yeah, you dive into the back pain. So the history presenting complaint. And so the, the first thing I always um, think about with history presenting complaint, and as I've banged on so many times on this podcast, is time course. Super, super important. How long has this been here? Is it there all the time? Does it fluctuate, etc.? And um, time course is an interesting one with back pain because I don't think you can necessarily say that just a particular type of time course is more worrying than others. In some ways, uh, like the very acute onset, never been to hospital, sudden severe back pain is very concerning. Um, and then also in some ways, 
you know, this this has been here for three or four months now and it's persistent. That's pretty concerning as well because that's unusual for kind of non-specific. Yeah. I guess there's no hard and fast rules, but it's things outside the normal course for non-specific back pain. Yeah, that's, that's, a good, that's a good one. And the normal course for spe- non-specific back pain is they might have an acute flare-up and then it sort of settles down over yeah, yeah. a couple of weeks, exactly. maybe a month max. So yeah. if, you know, six months later they come back and they say the pain is still there or getting worse, yeah, yeah. that's a red flag. But if it's also so severe when they first walk in, well, that's pretty unusual for yeah. non-specific back pain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then once I've got that time course down, I might focus a bit more on the nature of the pain. So what kind of questions are you asking for the nature of pain? So is it localized or generally <clears throat> diffuse? Is it radiating anywhere, particularly down the back of the leg? That would suggest sciatica or yeah. you know, potentially spinal cord yeah, compression yeah, yeah, if it's yeah. both sides. Um, uh, the nighttime. Yeah, pain. then the nighttime inflammatory stuff. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Is it getting up in the morning and then it sort of gets better? And is it you know severely bad at night? Or I think that's a good one. The, the, it does it improve with bed rest because yeah, again, a lot of this is about differentiating the vast majority of non-specific back pain from those other things, mm-hmm. and mostly non-specific back pain will improve with just chilling out in bed. Yeah, exactly. And your special pillow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then you've got your associated features as well. Um, so uh, the, the key ones here, as we've banged on about a lot, is kind of any neurological features, so numbness, weakness, bladder bowel, um, and then the systemic features, so weight loss, fevers, night sweats. Yep. So just to summarize that very quickly, you start with the context, the general background of the patient, and then you narrow in on the back pain itself, and you want to start with the time course, um, and then you focus in on the nature of the pain, a little bit more what it's like, and then finally the associated features. Yep. Cool. Uh, so now the examination component. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you do here? So always look at the back first. I, that is actually a really, it sounds stupid, but like often you're seeing a patient in hospital, they've got some clothes on, you can't be bothered really checking out their back, but it is important to look, one, for yeah. deformities of the back, such as kyphosis and scoliosis, so mm-hmm. kyphosis being you know, looking like the letter C and curled over, which mm-hmm. you might see in your osteoporosis, osteoarthritis patients, mm-hmm. osteoporosis being someone who's had a fracture and already has a deformed spine. Mm-hmm. And then scoliosis, probably more likely in a younger person who's then going to be pushing you towards a non-specific cause of back pain, but not definitely. But there's also the important stuff of like, do they have a gaping wound over their back? Mm-hmm. Or do they have a recent, you know, mm-hmm. a, a surgical instrumentation mm-hmm. scar or something like that? So it's yeah. also really important. It's, it's something that's taught in textbooks a lot or you're... you're, you're uh, Older physicians will tell you that inspection is really important. But I remember as a, as a medical student, I was kind of skipped over that part of the time. Med you're busy, like yeah. you're kind of like, ah, move on. Yeah. But I don't know, short cases actually really nailed into me how much, how important inspection. that was. Like if you take back, if you stand back for like just 10, 15 seconds and like just look at evaluate the scene properly, mm. be a bit of a Sherlock Holmes, pick yeah, up on yeah. the little things. I, that's what Doctor's ABC, first one. Inspect for danger. Stand back. <laughs> Check out the floor. Look for any puddles, yeah. <laughs> any raging fires going on at the moment. Uh, but yeah, I think inspection is super important. Um, and then we move on to palpation percussion. So you just like feel along the spine. I punch the spine. That's what I do. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I find that that useful, but sometimes it can be a little bit useful for like compression fractures. In yeah, compression fractures for sure. Mm. They tend to be fairly focal. And I'd say with abscesses, at least the ones I've seen, they're pretty mm. focal as well. But mm. also sometimes the patient just does a terrible job of describing where the pain is. And then when you actually press, you work out that it's in the thoracic spine and mm-hmm. that's a bit more concerning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then once you've done that, you probably do some kind of spinal mobility stuff to make sure that they can flex, extend, um, etc. And that's particularly important in angspond. Mm. So you and really want to look for people with angspond. Few, for those of you who don't know, I didn't know anything about angspond until I did my exams. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's a fusion. They get fusion of the spine siding in the lower vertebrae, so they will just not be able to move forward or backward mm-hmm. or side to side in the later stages. I mean, early mm-hmm. on, it's not so bad. And then uh, all of that is not that important. The, the key thing, <laughs> the key thing is the neurological exam. Um, so obviously, you're going to be mostly looking at the lower limbs, right? What are you going to be particularly excited to do? So Excited. testing reflexes, looking for weakness. So what would you what would you be interested in reflexes? What you... So if someone had brisk reflexes, that would suggest to me that maybe they've got an upper motor neuron cause, i.e. there's spinal cord compression in there. What if it's a really acute spinal cord compression? Yes, yeah, so they might have initial flaccidity and then mm-hmm. they only develop that. And what about quadroquina? Uh, so quadroquina, you're going to be looking for set, well, one obvious... Other uh, reflexes wise. Oh, where well, you want to do your anal reflex? <laughs> <laughs> It's true, isn't it? <laughs> Babinski? I feel like I just cornered you. Didn't like, <laughs> <laughs> do that. Anal <laughs> Isn't that a thing? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I might have a few court cases coming my way. Okay. Yeah, just do your usual reflexes and it's reduced. You want to check your anal tone, no? Yeah, sure. And I'm pretty sure there's a reflex in there somewhere as well. I'm having a reflex right now, <laughs> realizing how many court cases are coming towards me. Um, yeah, sure. Anyway, what I was talking about reflexes, and yeah, you you would look for um, you look for reduced reflexes in a lot of causes, particularly the radiculopathies and the ah, okay, they're lower um, motor neuron. And the quadriquine is a lower motor neuron. Exactly, yeah. that's, that's all yeah, I wanted was trying to, to get at. Oh, <laughs> all I wanted you to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> The other, the other things that are particularly important is a sensory level. Yeah. So sensory level is, again, one of those things that I kind of thought was BS a little bit mm-hmm. um, and not that common because you'd, you'd, you'd like do their sensation and it would always be pretty intact. Mm-hmm. Um, but you really got to grab something sharp, like a, a paper clip's a really good mm-hmm. thing. Kind of Snapping a tongue depressor seems to be the most common thing. Um, and like s- scrape the skin to, to elicit um, some pain sensation. And then what you do is you just go up slowly. And even though they can feel it, and they'll say, yeah, it feels painful. When you Change. get, you suddenly get to this area which is no longer affected. And bam, or something like, oh, they'll often ooh, jump. Ooh. <laughs> and you need jump. to go high yeah, as well. Yeah. You need to go quite high. Yeah. 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 Into yeah. the abdomen. So, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's actually a super useful sign. Um, and then, so really just is the greatest hits of neurology exams. Um, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I would just emphasize, as you said, was bladder and bowel. So anal tone is an important thing to look for. And saddle anesthesia, particularly in quadroquina. I can't say I've ever tested saddle anesthesia. Right, there you go. <laughs> I've so, tested uh, the anal reflex, though. Uh, <laughs> it's too invasive. <laughs> Another thing that would just be... Is this you, Rahul Mutalali? <laughs> just say full never, name, date of birth. I have never tested <laughs> recorded on the internet um and uh so yeah in terms of motor function inversion and eversion is something that's really important to test um which you may not because it differentiates between a lower motor neuron s5 s1 problem versus a yeah between perineal sciatic perineal being p-e-r-o-n-e-a-l as in the low nerve that goes around the ankle exactly right not the perineum yeah 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 uh, anyway, I feel like we've wandered into the weeds. Straight leg raise. Okay, let's talk about that. That's kind of neurological. Uh, so how do you do it, Rudolph Double? 
Um, so patient supine, um, and you basically just extend their leg and raise it. Mm. Um, and interestingly, there's like a certain degrees. Um, yeah, it's all about the arc that they can get. Yeah, so like 30 to 75 is the, if they get pain in that range, that's pretty pretty good test for radiculopathy. Um, Compression of a nerve. But beyond that, it's just kind of just considered to be joint pain. Um, and you can also then... Uh, dorsiflex the foot um, to kind of enhance the sign. Um, so pull the ankle back towards yeah. or the foot, toes back towards their and face. You, and you can get the patient to um, flex their neck. Flex their neck. It's all about straightening out the dura as much as possible to kind of irritate um, the nerve root. Um, you can also do it on the other side as well um, to the affected leg. Um, and that's a reasonably good sign for radiculopathy. And I should say, I probably should have said this at the start, but what you're looking for is a recreation of their sciatica pain. Mm. So it's a test for radiculopathy. Okay, enough about your neurological <laughs> exam. Um, <laughs> so there's some non-organic signs that get put under this umbrella of Waddell signs. I don't know about this. Uh, yeah, we're not so sure. But it's they, they sort of say these are things that might hint that the patient doesn't really have back pain and they're faking it. But listen to our Functional Neurological Disorders podcast with find out how you can really find out when they're faking it. <laughs> um, but if the patient overreacts during the physical exam or they've got tenderness right on the skin and not deep, I don't know how you work that out. Straight leg raise that improves when the patient's distracted. So if you juggle and also get the straight leg raise going um, and unexplainable neurological deficits. Now with all of these things, like they imply a sort of standard on how people respond. Say for example, patient overreaction during physical exam. Well, you know, how is a patient meant to respond? And yeah, exactly. it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know how useful they are. And you run the risk of just pigeonholing someone who does have something really Yeah, exactly. So right, investigations, so, table. So... I'm hijacking this podcast right now. <laughs> so in, in terms of investigations, uh, the only real bloods that are useful are inflammatory markers um, or raised white cell count. Um, and you might do that if you're suspicious of infection. And then the, the big question here is imaging. Who do you image? Yeah, so this is a tricky one, and I think it depends on the context. We are talking about this before, but when someone's bad enough to come to the hospital for the first time with back pain, the first time they've ever been to hospital and they're coming in with back pain and it's very severe, that puts them in a different pretest probability category to someone who rocks up to their GP after a week of back pain because they feel like it's a bit niggling. So if someone's come with severe pain, I would personally consider uh, some sort of imaging, whether it's a plain X-ray or a CT, maybe not immediately, but sometime during the admission. Especially if, I mean, if there are red flags, such as neurological um, problems, some of those systemic symptoms or other risk factors for infection or malignancy, obviously they, they need imaging. But in those people, maybe you can get it done in a non-urgent fashion. In someone who rocks up to an outpatient appointment with a GP with mild niggling back pain, I think your first call is to try some simple analgesia, some uh, maybe some mobilization, stretching exercises, and then if it doesn't improve after, say, six weeks or so, then to consider imaging. But mm-hmm. Now, obviously, this is considering that you've already gone through the red flags. You've already done the neurological exam. And there's nothing there to tell you mm-hmm. that this is very mm-hmm. serious. What do you think, Devil? Oh, I think what the guidelines say. No, <laughs> I have a personal opinion on this. <laughs> so I think that the, the key thing to say is that there's a pretty large body of evidence now that early imaging doesn't seem to improve things for patients. Um, so there was a, a big meta-analysis that... Uh, compared immediate imaging to delayed imaging and found that there was no significant difference. And there was another study that showed that same kind of thing, that um, if early imaging does not improve outcomes at 12 months for patients, um, particularly if they don't have any evidence of radiculopathy. So it's important to know that the weight of the evidence is now saying that most, almost all patients do not need early imaging. 
Um, I think with all these guidelines, they're guidelines, and ultimately, yeah. once you become a bit more experienced physician, you'll know when someone needs imaging immediately. <laughs> you will. I mean, you can't just everyone who rocks up like, sorry, the guideline says you don't need an image. Go fuck out of here until six weeks later. Like, you know, you get a young person who's never had a problem. Thirty-three comes in with severe back pain that's been there for two weeks. You know, you're not going to be like, sorry, mate, you haven't hit the six-week guideline. I'll see you later. <laughs> Um, yeah. Davos seems uncomfortable with this <laughs> my, my strain from the guidelines he's smiling nervously yeah. <laughs> avoiding eye contact <laughs> yeah look I think I think most people unless they've got red flags or you're suspicious of a specific etiology that we talked about before but the mm. big thing is the red flags most people don't need immediate imaging and it's worth saying that that also counts for some of the specific etiologies. So, for example, radiculopathy, even though if you're highly suspicious mm. that they've herniated their disc, the vast majority of people don't need anything other mm. than kind of rest and physio and time. Yeah. Uh, and they don't need an early MRI. I, I would say that one of the biggest things is our discourse with the patient about the role of imaging in their condition. Yeah. So when someone true. comes in and they ask for imaging, people will ask for imaging. They're natural, want to know what's going on. Yeah, they've got severe yeah. pain. You need to phrase what the point of the imaging is. And I think... a really important thing to do is something like 50 to 60 percent of people by the age of 40 have degenerative changes on imaging in their back Mm -hmm. and um you need to phrase that to them and say it's likely that we're going to find this that and the other slip disc maybe a little bit of arthritis here and there some some narrowing of the um foramen uh the neuroforamen or whatever but what are they called again it should have, shouldn't have gone off the script no no no, no. i'm killing i'm killing right now people love him um so you're gonna see that and you tell them that you're gonna see that before they get the image results back otherwise when they get the image results back and you explain it away i mean you get the amount of people who then will latch onto that for the rest of their lives and so they have a cooked back is yeah, which is I, I like not. I'm not. We're not blaming the patients. It's our fault for not explaining yeah. it properly. Um, well, setting why, expectations. Why we're doing this? I want to find out whether you have an abscess. I don't care whether you have a small slip disc. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, cases. All right. Well, let's take this knowledge out for a spin. Um, <laughs> so, thirty-year-old guy. He works as a concreter. Comes in with uh, low back pain after a week of particularly heavy concreting. Uh, yeah, it was kind of six out of ten back pain. Um, so what's your target history? What are you going to really focus on? Uh, so back to those red red flags. We're checking whether or not he's got, most importantly, neurological dysfunction. Whether he's had any infective symptoms. Whether any risk factors for cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so to go through kind of the the history that I took you through before. So background for this guy, completely normal, high functioning guy. There's no yellow flags, but he's also got. No risk factors for infection or cancer. And then you, you, you drill down on the pain itself and it's not that bad and it gets better with rest, which is uh, very reassuring. No inflammatory back pain features because in a young guy, probably that's the main current misdiagnosis that would be in your head, angst bond. Yeah. Um, you do an examination, there's no deformity, um, there's no real tenderness, uh, there's a little bit of paraspinal tenderness and most importantly, the neuro exam is plumb normal. Mm. So what's this guy have? So he's got this non-specific back pain. And so for this sort of person, it's all about a bit of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, yeah, heat yeah. packs, the special pillow. See if you can find a special pillow. <laughs> and yeah. Darvel thinks Panadol doesn't work as a drug at all for any indication. Well, there's evidence in, in low back pain that it doesn't work now. Mm. Like there's there good go. quality studies. Um, so yeah, non-inflammatory. Who makes Panadol? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. Ask them to sponsor the podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are particularly good. 
Alright, next case. 33-year-old lady. She prevent, uh, presents with acute, severe back pain. It's been there for one day. And she's, she's never been to hospital before. She's never had back pain before. She's come into hospital because it's so bad. Um, so if we go through kind of the usual way of um, to taking the history. So in terms of her background. Um, well, I always start with a Panadol-focused background. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I want to know how much Panadol they've been taking, whether or not there's room to add more. <laughs> Honey and this Panadol sponsorship, yeah. um, but no, this this lady, um, she's got kind of no concerning background symptoms or history. Um, in terms of the history, it's very sudden and very severe. Uh, when you kind of really focus on the nature of the back pain, she's actually got quite a bit of sciatica, and she's got sciatica down both legs. And you also ask her about neurological symptoms, and she's she's struggling to pass urine. She's got some numbness on the back of the leg. Um, and her feet feel a little bit weak. And part of any history, you always have to check the allergies, and she doesn't have a Panadol allergy, <laughs> which many people don't because it's such a non-allergenic drug. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so this is a lot of red flags are going off here. So what are you thinking? Um, I'm thinking that she has functional incontinence. <laughs> uh, she's got Cordoquina syndrome. She's got an inability to pass urine, numbness down the back of her leg, foot weakness, um, so all of these things straight away, you're thinking there's something neurological going on. Yeah, so it's very, very concerning for quarter requirement. This person needs to be admitted um, and they probably need a scan. But before you do that, you do a neuro proper neurological examination. So what are you looking to find? So you want to look at the anal reflex first, uh, <laughs> so ankle ankle reflex first. Um, so they would lose their ankle jerks. So remember, quarter equina is the nerve roots as they've already left the spinal cord. So it's actually not, it's already past the... Um, uh, the upper motor neuron is in the lower motor neuron. Uh, you might get plantar flexion weakness. They can't press down and they can lose sensation in their S1 dermatome around the back. Yeah, so obviously you would do a proper thorough exam. You're just going to do th those three things. But with quarter equina, that's often particularly what you find. So because S1 involvement, S1, S1 nerve root involvement, they'll often lose their ankle jerks. Um, and again, because it's S1, that's kind of plantar flexion rather than dorsiflexion. And then loss of sensation at the back of their legs, which is um, S1 as well. Hmm. So this person needs just some reassurance, physio. <laughs> There's another one there. Now, this is an urgent MRI. Um, and uh, you do an urgent MRI, she's, she's got a herniated disc uh, pressing on S1, S2 region, and she's probably going to get urgent neurosurgery. Hmm. So it's interesting because, uh, if we remember, we were just looking at this before, the, there is a discordance between the levels of the spinal cord and the levels of the actual vertebrae. So this would be at L4-5, the disc there would be herniating into S1, S2 because the spinal cord is sort of higher up. Slightly. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. All right, so next case, so this is a real case that I saw when I was a country med reg. Um, so a 70-year-old uh, lady comes into the Wangaratta Emergency Department um, and she's brought in by the family primarily for confusion. Uh, but the ED doctors thought she, she might actually be in some back pain as well. She's kind of rolling around, seems to be clutching her back. She can't really tell you about it, uh, but that seems to be going on. Um, so in terms of the context for this patient, um, she's older. Um, she's got a past history of pretty poorly controlled type 2 diabetes with lots of foot ulcers in particular, and as well as all the other complications of type 2 diabetes. Um, and in the last few days before her presentation, she's kind of been increasingly confused. Um, you can't really take any specific uh, kind of time course um, history of her back pain and associated symptoms because she's so confused, but she certainly seems to have bad back pain. Um, so on examination, the, the, the most important thing you notice is, is that she's febrile. So she's kind of 38.7. 
um, which is a major red flag for a, a worrying cause of back pain. Sure. Um, you can't really do a neuro exam because she's, uh, she's too confused, but she doesn't seem to have any obvious weakness. Um, but really, just on the information we've got so far... So we've got a confused, probably septic, because she's their brow, seven-year-old yeah. lady who's got immunosuppression in the form of diabetes and maybe some back pain. So immediately and, and, I'm thinking... And a source of bacteria, the most important thing. So ah, foot ulcers. Yes, she's got bad right. foot ulcers that have been... That's just a big portal for constant bacteremia. Yeah. And um, so she's, you know, you've got to be thinking about epidural abscess or possibly vertebral yeah. osteomyelitis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So infection of the back is super high on the list here. Um, so yeah, epidural abscess or... or uh, osteomyelitis. Um, so, w- what do you do next here, Rahul? Um, physio, Panadol, <laughs> uh, and Mel. Yeah, just Panadol, I think. Just Panadol. Just Panadol. She probably should ideas. get some Panadol for some, for, to Honestly, reduce the fever, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's got so many uses. That's the advantage <laughs> of the drug. Um, so, bloods, including blood cultures, I'm thinking two to three sets at different sites because we're gonna what we're chasing here is a bacteremia. Yeah. Uh, and we want an urgent MRI because we want to see if there's an abscess that's compressing a spinal cord or mm-hmm. if there's signs of, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. what the neurosurgeons look at, but signs of something that needs to be operated right now. And antibiotics and a neurosurgical review with all of that information. Yeah, so the antibiotics is, a, is an interesting one. Um, there's Some people might hold off hold off um, because they want to get the sample off. Or you, it might be intuitive to hold off for the operation because then you'll get the proper... Um, sample of the abscess and you'll be able to you know treat the patient specifically with narrow spectrum antibiotics that's not the right thing to do in um, epidural abscess you just get the blood cultures yeah. and that's it i and think i remember you, one of the infectious diseases physicians at my who works in gen med used to yeah. say there's only a few circumstances where you have to give someone antibiotics so rapidly yeah, yeah. and that includes meningitis and uh, epidural abscess yeah, yeah. and then i guess infective endocarditis you know somewhat soon hopefully but again not as urgently as it's yeah, yeah so yeah usually the infectious diseases physicians teach that you know try and hold off if you can so mm-hmm. we can find out exactly what the bug is but this is not one of those cases yeah. you just give them antibiotics yep this is a real case as well. I won't uh, quiz you on this one. I'll just kind of take you through. Is this a recent one? Why, why don't I take you through? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this, this was, um, happened during COVID. Um, it was a 65-year-old Cantonese speaker, and she came to hospital without anyone translating for her. And she was brought in as a code stroke by the ambulance. And I'm at home, um, and uh, there's a, a, a very good registrar on the ground in the hospital who's dealing with a patient. Um and uh, I, she calls me early. She says, look, this is probably going to be stroke. She's got pretty dense right-sided weakness, which means severe right-sided weakness. Um, I'm going to take a straight round to the scanner, but I'm expecting that we'll see something. So I'm, I'm waiting at home on the computer as these images come through, and it's all plumb normal. Um, CT perfusion, CT angiogram, CT brain, all normal. Uh, but as you may know, we still thrombolize in these kind of circumstances. If someone's got a clear... Uh, neurological deficit that's relatively sudden onset so this is within two hours um, and even if they have normal scans we'll still give them thrombolysis um, but we asked the the registrar went back and did a proper evaluation there were some red flags coming up here um, and I was very close to just giving thrombolysis but she called me and said look there's no facial droop which is a little bit concerning for a spinal pathology um, and, uh, and also she seems to be somewhat wincing in pain. And so she then went on and got a Cantonese interpreter um, and got a proper history that back pain was actually her main concerning symptom mm. rather than the right-sided weakness. And she had a massive epidural abscess slash hematoma. Yeah, um, so they cancelled the thrombolysis and gave her IV Panadol. Panadol <laughs> comes in an IV form. Did you know? It's very convenient. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's... Um, 
that you know we would have killed that lady and we, we nearly did we were like seconds away from giving um thrombolysis so next case so 25 year old guy he's come in persistent back pain for the last four months um, no significant history um so when you're taking kind of the the pain history what are the, the questions you're going to ask uh what is the onset or the time course of the pain yeah uh, again, he's a 25-year-old guy, so starting to think about, you know, inflammatory cause. Yeah, he's yeah. gone for four months. So is it worse at night? Is it um, better when he starts to exercise? Does he get any morning stiffness? Yeah, and so it, those questions are coming out positive. So it's insidious onset, and he says, it's funny, I actually feel better when I, after I run around for a bit. Um, and, it's, and it's worse at night um, rather than, you know, when I'm lying down, I would expect to feel better, but I feel worse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're starting to get worried about inflammatory back pain. And uh, do you have some good questions up your sleeve that you can kind of really hone in on the suspected diagnosis of maybe ankh spon, ankylosing so spondylitis? Because they get pain or fusion in the SI joint, mm-hmm. that commonly refers to the buttock, the, mm-hmm. the gluteal region. <laughs> and um, so they can get alternating buttock pain, depending on which joint I suppose is more inflamed, the, which SI joint is. I think just the fact that it changes, like the fact that it's alternating is a, is yeah, a, a good, good indication well. of... Oh, um, uh, yeah. Will they get pain in other joints? So because uh, you can get a large joint associated arthropathy with enclosing spondylitis. And will they get pain in the tendon insertion site, which is called enthesitis? And so the most common one, I think, of that is where you get the Achilles tendon Achilles. inserting into yeah, the calcaneum, yeah. uh, and that can cause pain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's associated stuff with enclosing or with the spondylo seronegative spondyloarthropathies. That is the other conditions that fit along with enclosing spondylitis. And those things include psoriatic arthritis, so you could ask about psoriasis, inflammatory bowel disease-associated arthritis, so does he have inflammatory bowel disease, and then he may have a family history of uh, some sort of autoimmune condition. Um, yeah. 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 All right. Um, and then examination-wise, um, what are you going to particularly... Yeah, what so this is all about spinal, <laughs> spinal mobility uh, yeah. and spinal rigidity. Yeah, so yeah. you want to test their forward, uh, their flexion and um, extension, their uh, side lateral flexion as well, so how yeah. far they can move to the side. And people you know, people with advanced ankylosis spondylitis can have a totally fused spine. Yeah, yeah. But you know, in the early stages, they may not have that, but they struggle to touch their toes, etc. Um, and again... Going back to the examination, you can press on those tendon insertion joints or the Achilles to see whether it's tender there and see whether or not they have big swollen fingers because they can get uh, a dactylitis mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, so you're really suspicious that this is going to be angst bond. <clears throat> so you would send off some inflammatory markers, maybe do a HLA B27. The, you definitely start off with a, just a plain x-ray looking at the sacroiliac joints. Yeah, so they can grade the sacroiliac joints for X bond on that. And I think that actually forms part of the PBS requirements for some mm. treatment. So it is important. Mm-hmm. I will also say those x-rays are really hard to read. So you do need an ex-radiologist experience in reading them and grading the SI oh, joints. Okay. I've had some, some hilarious experiences. I don't, I'm not very good at rheumatology or X bond. Mm. And so we had some X bond cases in short cases for BBT, which is a very common thing. And... Um, you know, you do the case, you get the diagnosis, and then they start pulling out x-rays. And you're like, can you just show me where the abnormality is? And I was just like, pointing. Just waving like, a hand. Just like in a quadrant. It was yeah. like, just here. There's badness here. And there's a little bit over there. <laughs> I was like, no, there's a very specific point in this x-ray. Just, like, just point, point, point to it. Just like, wave my hand. So the further yeah. away you stand from the x-ray, I mean, where you're pointing becomes hard to work out. <laughs> you're on the other side of the room. It's like, there, right there. Come on, that's there. <laughs> All right. Next right. case. 80-year-old <clears throat> lady, um, she presents with a sudden onset back pain while she's picking up her pot plant. So instantly we've got ourselves... 
a number of things that diagnose old lady, lady, sudden onset trauma. Mm, mm, mm. No significant past history, but she's a heavy smoker. So that's another mm. osteoporosis risk factor. My eyebrows, for those of you who don't know, are at least <laughs> five centimeters displaced towards my forehead. <laughs> and uh, um, otherwise, she's been well, no recent systemic symptoms. Um, and the pain is localized to her back. When you examine her, she's very thin. Um, and she has a very bit of focal tenderness just of her, of her, her T10 vertebra. So this is someone that you wouldn't just send home for a few weeks of, of uh, Panadol and analgesia, etc. You'd probably be doing an x-ray, I think. Oh, why is yeah. that? I mean, you want to see if there's a compression fracture, yeah, fracture exactly. associated with osteoporosis. Yeah, yeah. But which seems you know, when I did geriatrics, I mean, you could sometimes in this situation, you could make the diagnosis without imaging. It doesn't really add too much, but... Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like an old lady with compressed. Uh, the same controversial grounds. <laughs> he's uh, avoiding my eye contact yeah. again. Um, I, 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 well, look, I, someone comes in and they have a history of osteoporosis, and they come in with you know thoracic, mid thoracic back pain with no concerning neurological features. I think I'd want to image that. Worse. See, you're <laughs> yeah. the reason that we can't afford any healthcare dollar. We got no healthcare dollars though. We're all going so, to frivolous imaging of eighty-five year old ladies. All these people with. Uh, you know, <laughs> Probable back fractures. Yeah. Just throwing it down the total, down the drain. Total, total waste. Um, all right. You've got one more case you wanted to take us through. This is an interesting Yeah, one. this is from when I was a rheumatology registrar, my brief stint as a rheumatology registrar. Um, so we had a man who came in for current back pain. At Monash, rheumatology takes a lot of back pain. Um, and But this person ended up under Gen... Oh, no. It ended up under us, but I had some concerns. Um, so he'd come in with back pain overnight. I got a call from the ED. Uh, he'd known to have back pain for a very long time. So this is the keeper of the story. Like, this was chronic back pain. Chronic right? back pain, yeah. yeah that's yeah. what you get. And so, so the ED said, he's just back again. You know, need some analgesia. We've given him some endone. We're sitting him in a corner in the ED. Um, and no one's looking at him. We're avoiding eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he'd recently had a corticosteroid injection into his back. He'd had multiple of those in the past before. Uh, and, you know, presumably was just waiting for that to kick in and get better. Um, he'd, but that was three weeks ago. Uh, so he came in overnight and I asked him to do a CRP and we found it in the morning. CRP was actually 65. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he later down the track started developing fevers. I think it was the next day and blood culture sent off and he had an MSSA bacteremia. Yeah, so he yeah. got an urgent MRI and he did indeed have vertebral osteomyelitis at the level where he'd had the recent injection of the corticosteroids into his back. So I think the highlight from this case is just that, you know, you can get, a, you can, Someone who has recurrent back pain, don't write them off straight away because things can change, yeah. particularly if they've had instrumentation of their back, yeah. which a lot of them do. I think with a lot of these, it's very common in headache as well that someone has migraines all their life and then they come in and they're saying, this headache is different. That's important to listen to. Yeah. And presumably this guy's back pain was quite different to what he'd had before. Yeah, and as much as we can sometimes in our profession be quick to write patients off, like these sorts of patients will usually tell you there's something different going on. Yeah, and yeah, they can yeah. usually rely on that. I think it's a really important red flag to mm-hmm. pay attention to. All right, so take-home messages. Um, so back pain is a condition with highly variable etiologies of different severity. So the vast majority is going to be non-specific back pain, but everyone will come across these disastrous cases and you just don't want to miss them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to miss infection, you don't want to miss malignancy, and you don't want to miss anything that's compressing the spinal cord or, um, or cord or equina. Um, and so to do that, you need to be very aware of your red flags and really your initial assessment should be directed mostly to about picking up red flags. Um, and then if you have picked up those red flags, it's important to kind of image them early. But otherwise, most of these patients will be able to get away with no imaging probably. Yeah. Um, and then 
this is, I think, in the once we move towards the non-specific back pain type situation, which is going to be the vast majority. Probably we didn't speak as much about management strategies there, but that's going to be the vast majority of your presentations. There's a strong social component to it, and it's about helping patients gain functionality back at the mm-hmm. end of the day. And often, you know, long-term opioids and those sorts of things aren't the key. It's going to be about mobilization, support strategies, exercising, and just getting them to go back to their usual activity, helping them realize that that back pain is not going to hurt them. It's not going to kill them. It might be a bit painful, but they can work through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, identifying that early. Okay, good. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Okay. Thank you, Ryan. Bye.